everyone, and welcome to our podcast today. I'm Edie Tolbert. And I'm Jennifer Edwards. And we are Business Besties. Hello, friends. It's Jennifer here. Before the podcast gets started, I wanted to interrupt for just a second since this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month to talk about the Stonebrook Project. You may not know this about Edie, even as passionate as she is about her nonprofit. She's not passionate about talking about money, about, hey, you realize it takes money to help people kind of way. But you know what? I'm not skittish about that. So here I am. As you've probably heard Edie say on the podcast, she now supports all people experiencing cancer treatment. She does this by providing care for the mind, soul, and body through her community groups, through oncology massage therapists, and through her staff reaching out and praying for clients. Edie's program takes care of the whole person in their cancer journey. Y'all, I believe wholeheartedly in what Edie is doing. Ron and I are project partners. We signed up for two years. It's $65 a month. For some, I realize this is a hard stretch, but for others, it's practically nothing. Is If you or your business are looking for a worthy cause to support, I challenge you to do what Ron and I did. And I'm going to challenge you just one tiny step further. We have our payment set up on bill pay through our bank. This costs us nothing, not even the cost of a stamp, y'all. Not even the cost of the envelope. But do you know what it does for the Stonebrook Project? It keeps them from getting charged the credit card processing fees, which no, isn't a month, isn't a bunch. I mean, it's, you know me, I've done the math. It's about 3%, but listen to this. We signed up for two years. 3% of 65 is $1.95. Multiply that times 24 months and you get $46.80, which is almost the price of a full massage for someone. So I'm willing to take the chance and the extra go the extra mile and set that up one time at my bank for a two-year span and save her 3% so that one more person can get a massage. Will you follow our lead? Will you also do this for a cancer patient? Will you do this for Edie as she is striving so hard to ensure that she is taking care of cancer patients well? As you know, her motto is making a difference until there's a cure. And she does this by making a difference in one life at a time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Edie and Jennifer, and we are here with Kristen Hale. She is a mental health... What is your official title? (laughs) Licensed professional counselor. There you go. That's what she is. And um, she is in our mastermind group that Jennifer facilitates. And she this is the third week with Kristen, and it's been so good. We've just continued on. The first week we talked, she introduced herself. She talked a little bit about her practice and what they do and how they do it. Last week we talked about the importance of community. And as we ended that podcast, we got into a conversation about safe people. Because Kristen mentioned when we were talking about walking through cancer and when somebody turns their back on you you have to walk through that grief of that person leaving and then we got into how do you determine who is a safe person and who is an unsafe person when you're walking through something life-threatening or a disease that um, 
just affects your whole life. How do you do that? Well, you know, I, I think I want to qualify something first because okay. I love this do. word safe is, has so many connotations. Right, right, right. right, right. Um, so, so people tend to only think of it in terms of physical safety. Right. And so I don't mean who's physically safe in your world. Right. Um, hopefully that's something you have. Right. Um, but I'm really talking, when I mean the word safe, I mean the people that can really emotionally support you and you know we all have different emotional capacities and people in our lives have different emotional capacities and without assigning any blame or condemnation for people who don't have that capacity I think it's important to recognize that that having people who do have that emotional capacity uh, is very important as you walk through any traumatic experience or anything that you're going to need that emotional support so I use that word safe people in that in that sense yes so people that have emotional capacity to be with you in hard things. Right. And uh, again, we all have a story. So some people just don't have that capacity. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or that they don't care about you. They just Mm -hmm. don't have the capacity to do really hard things. And so I think one of the things that comes to mind initially is people who really hear your nose on things. Um, if, if you, if they want to get together or they want to come over and you say, I'm not up to that today, then they're going to go, okay, no problem. And then they're going to call you another time. They're Mm -hmm. not going to hold a grudge or they're not going to be frustrated or they're not going to feel rejected. And you know, that kind of leads into a safe person is not going to make anything about your illness about them. Mm -hmm. And so for example, if you say, Hey, I don't want you to come over. I'm, I'm, today's not a good day. They are not going to say, well, you rejected me or, Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought I was your friend or you're not going to find yourself emotionally apologizing or Mm -hmm. taking care of another person. So I think that's one of the very big signs is to recognize that safe people also really are able to uh, address your needs as you need them addressed. So, uh, and, and they're good at when they, when they misstep apologizing or just saying, Oh my gosh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize I'm so sorry. And then not just apologizing, but changing their behavior Mm -hmm. based on something we can't, we can't mind read people. We don't know. And I know in, um, some of my friends that I have that are going through various circumstances right now, I want so desperately to help, but I don't want to make the assumption that I know what the right thing is to help. But if, if she were to reach out one of my friends right now, if she would reach out and tell me, hey, Kristen, that wasn't helpful, I'd say, absolutely, and then I'll do something different. Right. Um, so there's not a lot of that emotional baggage, but when you find yourself feeling stressed out about how somebody's going to react when you tell them, that's a pretty big sign. Yes. Um, that if, and not react like they can be sad, like right. people, but if you right. find yourself needing to temper what you say because you're worried about how they're going to need mm-hmm. you to respond, that's very different, mm-hmm. um, being a safe person. And, and I'll give an example um when I was diagnosed I made the choice not to tell my mom because she was she was not stable in her health either but she would be one of those persons that would make it all about her so instead of telling her at the beginning I told her more towards the time that I knew that I was going to be okay because it would have been who's going to take care of me who's going to pay my bills my dad had passed and so I was basically her caregiver so she would feel threatened that her caregiver something's going to happen to me and then what's going to happen to her. It wouldn't be so much about what I was going through. So, and we talked a little bit about that. It's, you have to choose whether you want to walk through that now. If it's a, if it's a no win situation, do you want to deal with it at the front or do you want to deal with it at the end? And so, and we had this conversation not on, while we hit record, it was in between. Right. And so one of the things that Kristen said was that 
it is easier sometimes Mm -hmm. to deal with the fallout of not telling that person or not having that conversation Mm -hmm. as opposed to going into it knowing knowing this person is unsafe or whatever word you want to use. Yeah. And and then knowing what you're about to walk into. It's just easier to deal with fallout. Yeah. It's almost like the old saying, um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for, for permission, permission which yeah. I've always really hated that term that that phrase but in this situation I totally get it yeah, yeah. well and I think it's important to recognize because this word safe has all these connotations again mm-hmm. right that nobody's trying to be unsafe really right very few right. people are and so you may have a few but but you're going to pick those out and probably mm-hmm. not have them in mm-hmm. your inner circle so a lot of times that beha- that behavior is is because they're hurting themselves mm-hmm. and they don't know how to express that. And so they, oh, yes. they need you to talk about that. And so what I, what I want to say is it doesn't mean that if a person is not somebody you want to include in this, it doesn't mean you don't care, you right. don't love them, or you don't want them to be a part of it in some level. What I am trying to say is it's okay to protect your emotional yeah. energy while you're going through some things and saying, I have a very limited amount of emotional energy. And when I have to, I have to use every piece I have to carry what I'm going through and not carry anybody else's feelings about this and so at some point it may not be that way but right now um, that's what I need to do and I liked what you said about inner circle that at that point you need to determine who your inner circle is and who is included in that and it might not be that person and like you said it's not that that I I can't be there for them but I need my people to be for me during this time and who are those people who are those people who's my inner circle and I love that Edie, you provide a community where people can feel that safety. Mm-hmm. Sober project. I think that's really important. And I and I think what ha- what I've seen happen is for those people that don't have an inner circle, they find their inner circle within the community. Mm, nice of the of the cancer group that we provide. So nice. And I, I how do you feel about support groups? Oh, I think they're great. Yeah, yeah. They they absolutely fill a need. Um, that even we as therapists can't fill. Mm -hmm. Um, For one, you know, not just about cancer or treatment. I have people come into my office and say, are you a mom? Mm -hmm. They want to feel safe with me. They want to feel like I understand if I'm going to treat their kids. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that I couldn't understand or wouldn't be able to, but there's a safety or, and I I keep using that word. (laughs) I need to find a better word. (laughs) No, I love that word. There's a a groundedness maybe is a better word Mm -hmm. in knowing that some has walked in your shoes mm-hmm. and so as much as I I want if, if somebody had sat in front of me and said hey I'm walking through cancer I want to be empathetic I want to hear I want to understand but I don't understand it to the level that somebody has walked through it right. can understand now I can bring other tools Right. And some objectivity right. to to it through, just through counseling skill and just valuing people in relationships. But support groups feel a need yeah. that is so critical because it's the sameness, right? As human beings, sameness. we, we mm-hmm. look for the sameness in mm-hmm. people. Like, who's like me? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Meaning not like um, that we don't want to be around people that are different from us, but in, in a traumatic situation, mm-hmm. we're looking for who's done this before. Yes. Who gets this? Who's mm-hmm. gone through what I've gone through? Um, because it feels just very reassuring. Yes, it does. Um, so to hear that. For me, when I went through my illness, the biggest thing that was really helpful for me was people that would, would send me stories um, that would say, my uncle had this and he made it. Yeah. Um, I needed to hear the stories of hope, the right. stories that exactly. people that made it. And I think support groups provide that too. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that 100%. We see a lot of that. We hear a lot of that. 
um, just to be able to walk into a room where you see people that are survivors that made it through and then you listen to them and they had the same kind of treatment. And I tell them, even though you have the same diagnosis and the same treatment, it doesn't mean it's not going to affect you differently. But to be able to see tangibly that person sitting across the room or beside you and know that they got to the other side, that's very, that provides a lot of hope, mm-hmm. a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I love that. I love to also hear that from someone that I highly respect, Kristen Hale, mm-hmm. um, in her profession, that she is giving you the thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Do find the, find your community. Yeah. And that out, even outside of therapy, it's it serves a purpose that even they can't provide. Mm-hmm. It's the sameness, the groundedness. And I love that. I love and that. Let's, and let's just be real. The enemy wants nothing more than to isolate you from mm-hmm. the sameness of other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And that's how he, he you know, drives his wedge in there. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. You don't have to do it alone. I have the privilege in my practice to train new counselors. We have some counselors that are in their master's level internship. And I have a privilege that every week of getting to spend some time with them. And the, the three we have are absolutely stellar. But one of the things I tell them all the time when they're worried because they're in graduate school and they're like, am I doing it right? Mm-hmm. The, one, the one thing I tell them is when all else fails and you have no idea what to do, quit doing anything but being a human in the room. Mm-hmm. And that will give you where you need to go. And so I feel like what support groups do, do, what you do so beautifully for cancer survivors is you become the human in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, that's so powerful because that's what we need. Mm -hmm. We, we have, um, that connectivity with somebody that's, that, um, is understands the human experience. I mean, and if you think about even like the men and women that have gone into the military, what, what is their bond more mm-hmm. than anything else, yeah. it's their sameness. They yeah. all went through boot camp. They all were yeah. in the military. You know, for those that went to war, they went to war together. So they have that oneness within them, and that's what makes them yeah. bigger and stronger. So it's yeah. that community that really, really brings you through. Well, what brought the three of us together, the Female Christian Mastermind Group. Yeah. It is, um, it is mind-boggling to me to sit. I always kind of process after we've had one of our sessions, one of our gatherings. And I sit there and I think to myself, the value that just came out of that room oh, was more than could ever possibly mm-hmm. be. I mean, it, it, it's just, it, my, I'm, my mind is always blown. I, I'm literally speechless. I'm hardly ever <laughs> speechless. But it is those moments afterwards where I think they've come out of this with not one or two, but sometimes three or four mm-hmm. very good options mm-hmm. for huge issues they have in their businesses. And what amazes me each and every time when we get together is I can walk in with a need and um, and I can present my need, but I can still walk away with options, but then I can still provide mm-hmm. options for the other women in the room. So you would think that you would walk in and all you'd be concerned about is you, 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 but that's not the way it is. You mm-hmm. can walk in. We all have a, you know, we go over our list. The other women pour into us and then we pour back. And I mean, we each and every time we get together, mm-hmm. we walk away with something. And that, that's, that's very unusual. Yeah. And I think that it probably happens in all support groups as long mm-hmm. as they're led well. Yes. Which I think yours are. And I, I, I would love to bring somebody else on board. I'm just not there yet. It's the trust factor. I just haven't found somebody mm. that, because it can tend to get negative. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we can to, tend to go down yeah. that, that rabbit hole. of. Yeah. So one of the things I would um, love to give a plug to is <clears throat> some research that's being done at the University of Oklahoma right now um, that there's a book out actually called Hope Rising. Oh, you've told me about uh, that. That is a really great book. Mm-hmm. Um, the the lead i've had the opportunity to hear a lot about the work they've been doing and um it is all in the science of hope and what hope can do for people and so uh, i highly recommend checking them out if you type in hope rising uh, university of oklahoma you'll find it uh on the on the web and uh, i'm just in- incredibly impressed because it it really has scientifically validated everything i've known <laughs> you know for years as sure. a therapist or sensed sure. for right. years as a therapist that you watch that that provision of hope mm-hmm. and um there's some really great things involved in mm-hmm. that but that's what it is and so you know keeping things from you know, even teaching people, and there's a fair amount in therapy world, we call this psychoeducation. So a fair amount of education in a support group about, hey, here's what we know. We know that if we sit around and only say the negative things, then that creates a negative loop in Mm -hmm. our brain. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to give space and time for that. But we're also going to say one thing that happened this week that brought you hope. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to talk about, you know, when you can't have hope, what other people can do to hope for you. You know, I I love the story in scripture about Jesus's, the the friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus and Mm -hmm. dropped him down in the roof. And so I call them mat carriers. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I've, I've explained that to different people Mm -hmm. about everybody needs mat carriers. Sometimes you don't have the strength to get there on your own. Mm -hmm. And so a support group can definitely provide that, but trying to focus on, Hey, we're we're not trying to be Pollyannas about this, but we're also trying to say that we got to wire our brains for hope and really try to help um, point out at least one thing, something somebody did in this yeah. group that gave you hope, something somebody said um, that was that that you heard, that you felt yeah. seen and understood, so you can try to create that piece too. Um, yeah, it's so true. It's yeah. so true that you have to, you know, when you walk into the room, you see the other people and you hear their story and you hear how they made it through. And yeah, it was horrible and was hard, but you made it. And mm-hmm. so that gives you the encouragement and support you need to, to well, keep moving forward. And I think sometimes... We underestimate the things we do that are hopeful in general. Like um, I tell people all the time when they come into therapy and they're depressed and sad and anxious and saying, this will never get better. I say, yeah, but you're here. Mm -hmm. That one step of getting in your car yeah. and driving here. Mm-hmm. There's something there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that that part of you mm-hmm. that got in the car and said, I'm going to show up because that part is still there mm-hmm. and um, helping kind of find those pieces. So even when you show up at a support group, it may not be that everything's going great, mm-hmm. but you still got in the car and you came. Mm-hmm. What's that part of you? Why did that part of you mm-hmm. show up? Mm-hmm. So good. Um, and that there's some good. hope, so there's some hope really for you good. there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I steal away. If you're not if you're not available for cancer group in October, I'm stealing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good because I mean that question comes up a lot. I mean we've had people say, "I'm not going to survive this," and I mean it's like everybody goes pounces on them, say, "Yes, you will." Okay, let's talk about why you don't feel like you're going to survive this. And so it just it's the same it's the same concept. 
But you got in the car and you drove here. So what I think somebody, I would guess, and you know, I'd have to talk to him, but yeah, I think what, what everybody's saying is we, we hear that statement of, I'm mm-hmm. not going to survive this mm-hmm. and we, we, it breaks our heart mm-hmm. and we're so scared and sad for mm-hmm. that person that we come in and say, mm-hmm. yes, you will. Yes, you will. But the reality is that person already thinks it or they wouldn't have said it out right. loud. And so we need to provide space for that and say, mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. What makes you think mm-hmm. you're not going to survive it? And I wonder People who really think they're not going to survive it probably wouldn't have gotten in the car and come tonight. So I'm wondering if there's a part of you that's just really scared. Yeah. But yeah. it's you have some hope. Yeah. And it's true because she had such a such a, a family history. Mm-hmm. And some of them has survived. There was one that had survived and three that didn't. So she, she was feeling based on that. Statistics. I'm not going to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Right. But I hate to tell her this. I mean, I hate to tell this to anybody, but the, the chances of you having a family history are 5% or less. Sure. Of everybody that's diagnosed. So. Breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's not, I, I, I'm not even sure why they even ask that question because it's only 5%. 95% of us have never had any family history and we were diagnosed. Mm. But it's that fear factor. Yep. Of that question. Mm-hmm. Do you have any family history? Yep. Yeah. Oh, so goodness. What else, Jennifer? Well, I do. Before we let Kristen go, I have this one. I had this one thought of how do we stay connected to self awareness enough to keep balance during any type of what we feel like is an impossible situation. You know, I I love that question. I've been asking myself that question a lot as a therapist <laughs> in the post-pandemic United States of America, um, because I I'm I'm honest and that I'm struggling a little bit with that myself and just finding how to, how do you find balance in really stressful times. But, um, mm. you know, I think that doing things, you know, everybody's different. But I think that doing things to, I hate the word self-care, not because I despise Mm self-care, but because it's really more like, you know, in therapy world, we say, well, take time for yourself and go get a manicure or pedicure. And those things are amazing. Mm -hmm. And we want to do those things. But I think in order also, and besides those things, we want to make sure that we're um, finding time with people Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. fill us up. That yeah. fill our cup. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's my family. Mm-hmm. And so I know when I start missing my family that I have let the bar swing back mm-hmm. way too far the other way. Yeah. And I start thinking I'm not okay. Almost always an anecdote for that is time with people I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, sometimes it looks like an afternoon. Sometimes it looks like a week. <laughs> um, but trying to trying to let the bar swing. So finding that, that community or people that fill you up. Um also trying to do things that you know obviously the obvious things like nutrition and and you know working with your brain and exercise and all those things but I also think that finding a way to have purpose Mm -hmm. um whether it's for sure whether it's you know I think about the ladies in your support group and the ladies and men I assume Mm -hmm. in your support group and and their purpose might be that they showed up that night to say one thing to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so letting people know when they're not around or finding a place that you know you matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that's hard. Mm-hmm. As a business owner, I struggle with that. I think my biggest grief from having colleagues to being a boss is the loss of what I feel like people know me. 
really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, and I've really struggled with that. It's lonely so at the top. It's yeah. lonely at the top. Yeah. Um, I, and I have great people. It's just, sure. it's just that loneliness of like, I really, nobody really understands it, it to the degree, the burdens I carry. So, um, for me showing up to mastermind group is yes. a big part of that to, so, you know, Edie may bring me a, bring a problem into group and I don't know anything about your particular industry or your particular business, but I do know that I can give you hope that day. Right. And so not just feeling like I take or think people are taking mm-hmm. from me, exactly. but feeling like it's a mutual pouring in it is really helpful. And then really the other thing I think that we do and I see people do um, in therapy world, we call it should yourself. Don't should yourself. Oh, I do that all <laughs> um, the time. Which is, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. Um, that is all negative self-talk and trying to say, so I tell people to change the narrative. It would be awesome if I did this, but it doesn't mean I have to. Yeah. Um, and so trying to like really be aware of the things you're putting in and taking out. And, um, you know, we go back to that old analogy of put the big rocks in first, the things mm-hmm. that really matter and then build everything else around that. And, and so all those things are things that are, are critical and nothing new. There's a thousand mm-hmm. books out there about them, but what I see happening in the mental health field is that they're, they're just, for lack of a better word, we're just kind of not okay yeah. as a society. And we need to give us ourselves permission yeah. to take a big step back mm-hmm. and to recognize that we have to restabilize ourselves after what our world's been through. And that that looks different for every person, mm-hmm. but giving grace and understanding to yourself first so that you can give grace and understanding to other people. And don't you think that it's kind of, it's a place of denial when we, when we say it's kind of like being diagnosed with cancer and wanting to go back to the Mm -hmm. way it was. Everybody experienced COVID and we want to go back and experience what we had before COVID. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's giving ourselves permission, giving ourselves grace that we're not okay. Yeah. The whole world Mm -hmm. is not okay. Yeah. And, and the, our, our, we have legitimate brain science on that. Like, mm-hmm. like when you go through an event where you've been isolated and when you've been alone and mm-hmm. when you've had chronic stress over mm-hmm. job security mm-hmm. or food security or all the things that we've struggled with, you know, rising gas prices, all the things that we've struggled mm-hmm. with over the mm-hmm. last two years, that's real. You can't undo that. No. And so, so it doesn't mean we have to live there and live camped in the past, but it does mean that we have to acknowledge it exactly. so that we can move forward. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that. Just acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you do so well with is kids. And I've heard more and more over the last, it seems like very recently, and I don't know why, maybe I don't listen to the media, so it could be something that's getting blasted out over the media for all I know. But I keep hearing people say, kids are okay because they're really resilient. (laughs) And I know that from personal conversations with you, Kristen, that probably is not the case. So I don't know where all of this is coming from, that kids are going to be just fine from all of this lockdown and being on virtual school and not being with their friends and all of that, they're, they're resilient and they're going to be okay. They're going to just bounce back. So I'd really love for you to just address that a little bit because I don't, the last thing I would want is for people to think that they can just ignore and pretend like everything is fine and that kids will just be resilient and bounce back. (laughs) I actually even heard that before the pandemic when I worked in child welfare. Um, 
that, you know, kids are resilient and anything that happens to them, they'll be okay. And, and guys, that's just not brain science. Like, I, I don't know another way to say it. Um, now, we do know there are factors that increase resiliency. And one of the things that for kids that does increase resiliency is having a safe, supportive adult. Um, that's a significant research that only takes one safe and supportive adult to help a child be resilient. Uh, in infant mental health, we call those angels in the nursery that are there that are safe and supportive of young children, yeah. especially. Uh, I think that, you know, the research is still being done and I don't even want to begin to talk about the research on COVID um, and what it's done. Mm. I, I can tell you anecdotally what I see in my practice and that I'm seeing epic levels of anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. um, anxiety in really young children, uh, three, four, five, six, seven um, children that are afraid to leave the house because they're afraid or afraid for their parents to leave the house because they're afraid their parents are going to mm. get sick and die. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was the discussion in our world for a really long time. And it, mm-hmm. and then for some kids it did happen. So mm-hmm. you can't really blow that off and pretend. Right. Um, then also because of masking, um, which, you know, of course was part of what we did and had to do, but the, the faces, you know, kids look a lot at faces and faces were blocked for several years in terms of like facial expression. And, and I remember I, I, and the reason I know this is because when I, when we started reopening our practice, we had masks, we were masking, that's what we all did. And it was fine, but I caught myself smiling and I would go out to greet a child in the lobby and they just look at me with a blank stare. And I was smiling under my mask, but they didn't Mm -hmm. see that I was smiling. Mm -hmm. And so, I was having to find alternative ways to compensate to let kids know that I was safe, you know? Um, so I'd have to use my voice or I'd have, you know, I just look different than what they were typically Mm -hmm. used to seeing. And so I think that kids can be resilient, but I, but I think resilience is not pretending something never happened. Resilience is acknowledging the effect it had healing from the effect and then moving on. Oh, that's so good. What she just said. (laughs) So I mean, say that again. So resilience is not pretending something never happened. Re- resilience is knowing what happened, acknowledging the effect, and moving forward through that. Right. Sometimes with professional help. Yeah. Um, yes. And so, um, you know, I, I think the hard part, and I, gosh, I, we were that family. We were like, we just want to go to a football game again. You yeah. know, we, yeah. we, we wanted to do I the just things. Want a box of popcorn yeah, at like, the movie. We wanted yeah. to go back to the movies. Yeah. Um, you know, well, my husband and I are introverts. And so we were kind of excited about the whole thing kind of for a while that we were going to have to <laughs> not, first, not it was, be around. It, at first it was okay. But then it, yeah. when we got into the third week. It was like, okay. Yeah. It so was hard. It was yeah. hard. And so we want things to go back to normal. Everybody does. But I, I think it would be short sighted to mm. not acknowledge um, what we've been through and yeah. to acknowledge it and say, um, this is what's going on. I know some of my educator friends are talking about children coming into school that are developmentally younger <laughs> than their chronological age would suggest. So they're at, they lost out on a year and a half, a lot of times of socialization in mm-hmm. school. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't mean that we can't handle it, but we have to acknowledge it and not just be mad about it and frustrated about it. We've got to do it differently. Yeah. And that's what we work with schools on. And in the cancer community, what we're finding and what we're seeing is that there are later stages of cancer Mm -hmm. being diagnosed because people didn't Didn't get treatment. They didn't, they couldn't. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't go do their mammograms and their colonoscopies. And um, if they had a symptom, they weren't being tested or whatever for a year and a half, two years. And so we're seeing later stages instead of those early detections. Right. So, I mean, it's going to be across the gamut of what affects. I just, I felt like I, it just that just needed to be addressed because I I 
there, it, it can't just be a pat answer. No. Uh-uh. Kids are resilient. And mm-hmm. so now we're going to just move on. Mm-hmm. Done deal. Well, Pollyanna, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if well-intentioned people say that because they want and need to believe that. About sure, kids, true. That we it's just true. need to believe that kids are going to be okay because if they're not, that's really mm-hmm. hard and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I still believe there's so much hope here. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're seeing it yeah. every day in my office. We're seeing families come in and do the work and and work through things and help their kids. And so, I I definitely see a lot of hope. But I think it comes from acknowledging where we've been and and how to move forward. Yeah, and acknowledging, and that's important. Mm-hmm. That's the first big step is acknowledging. Yeah. Well. Kristen, is there anything that we did not cover Mm -hmm. that you would love to make sure that we, are there any gaps, any holes, any, any, anything? You know, I think the only thing I thought about today, and I just want to share this is, is helping people understand that the mental health community is really slammed right now. Um, And so as much as is possible, if you seek out mental health services, understand that mental health providers are doing everything they can do to meet the need. And so um, we're struggling a lot in our office with people calling and saying, well, we want to do A, B, and C, and we're only willing to see this person, and we're only willing to see that person. And that's really important, and we want to respect that. But right now, mental health demand is like mm-hmm. unlike anything I've ever seen. So if you have the ability to get with a therapist and you find one you like and be flexible, um, help understand that that's a way to get sort faster um well, of course there's bigger needs and sliding scale needs and other you know there's all kinds of different things and we love mm-hmm. to connect people with that but uh, i've been trying to educate people about you know therapists have therapists are trying to keep themselves okay in the middle of all this too and yes. they can't work till 10 o'clock every night no. right um in in order to do that and you yeah. don't want your therapist no. doing that either. No. so no. so we're trying to do everything we can do to meet the need and yes. just be patient with us and understanding and, and we'll do the best we can to connect you with with the right resources awesome all right anything else Edie I can't think of anything it's been so good so good you guys need to make sure that you go back and listen to the last two episodes you want to get the full impact of all three of these episodes Kristen has given us a wealth of knowledge when it comes to mental health and um, if you find yourself in an overwhelming situation please reach out and like she said even if she's not the one that can sit down with you and help you walk through it, she will connect you with the person that can. And once again, give us your website and your phone number. It's Connect and Restore. So www.connectandrestore.com. And our phone number is 918-392-7988. And that is in the Tulsa area. And we'll put that in the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much, Kristen. It was a pleasure. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. And hey, I'll be looking at your calendar for next week. (laughs) Got it. it. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Edie. And this is Jennifer. And we hope that we've inspired you to find your business bestie if you haven't already. Thank you.